Greetings to all. The interview you're about to hear is a restaging in English of my original interview in Spanish with Luis Sarmiento. Luis is played by the voice actor Wesley McClintock. Luis is a Santanero, still young, who is musician, poet, activist, organizer, and, as we shall hear, impassioned advocate for honoring the earth and the people who live in harmony with the earth, those who don't necessarily form part of the great narrative, some say it is a tragedy, of modernity. Luis is also a natural orator. He presents himself very completely in the interview, so he doesn't need more introduction from me. Let's get to it. I'm here with my interviewee, Luis Sarmiento, on the line. Luis, how old are you? Uh, oh, my God. Uh, I'm 33, I think. I'm starting to lose count, honestly. <laughs> well, 33, 34, what's the difference, really? Well, yeah. And what is your job or profession right now? Hmm. A little bit of everything. I mainly do community organization. I'm a musician. I, I spend some time with community media, you know, a little bit with radio production, very little with video, but everything has to do with community organization. Uh, at the moment in Santa Ana, we focused a lot on economic projects and projects we're fighting as a community for spaces, for land, you know where we can develop projects, whether it's urban agriculture or even looking at the possibility of building housing for the community or a marketplace. Mm. Uh, we have different ideas about how to, how to go about getting space for community development. It's more or less this that I've been doing in recent years. Um, also forming networks with community organizations in Mexico, in Veracruz, Oaxaca, in Mexico City, where I'm from, wherever there's a group, there we are, everywhere, building this network of community work. Uh -huh. I grew up here and this is where I've ended up working. And here we are, here in Santa Ana. Uh, mm -hmm. I would mention the Centro Cultural de Mexico. It's a space, an organization to which I owe a big part of my development as a human and in my work to the Centro Cultural. Uh, right now, I also work with another organization that we've started here in Santa Ana, which is called Thrive Santa Ana, which is, it's just an association of community land holdings. That's the group we're trying to get pieces of land to do community projects, like using a model called the Community Land Trust. Uh -huh. And so those are the main organizations. Also, there's our community radio here in Santa Ana. Radio Santana. I take part in that too. Another few words about the Centro Cultural de México. In a manner of speaking, you could say that the Centro gave rise to this interview. It's where I met Luis around 2009, when he was still a very young man. But even then, one of the most dynamic musicians and teachers I've ever met. El Centro Cultural de México is a community space dedicated to cultivating and exploring the intersections, and sometimes collisions, among the many cultures that call themselves Mexican, and the realities of urban life in the United States. For over 20 years, the Centro has offered community classes in music, dance, and art, and it has become an access for community organizing on behalf of and by migrants and Santana residents, many of whom are economically disadvantaged. 
Everything is a bit up in the air right now because of the pandemic. Like everyone, we at Centro are seeking new ways to make community without meeting in the flesh. Radio Santana, based at the Centro, broadcasts at 104.7. Community radio is perhaps one of the most promising avenues of response to the challenges of social distancing. The station is also the promoter of this show. Every episode of our podcast is first broadcast on Radio Santana. Links to all the organizations that Luis mentions appear on our website for those who want to know more. I'd like to ask you a question that's... that's... Elizabeth, there's a, there's a helicopter passing over. Maybe you want to wait a sec because of the noise? <laughs> oh, yeah, those wonderful helicopters. Yeah, we have to put up with them here, too, a lot. Somebody told me recently that every time the Santa Ana police gets out a helicopter to circle over a community like this, it costs us like $10,000. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think I've heard the same figure. Uh-huh. What a thing. Right? It's gone now. Okay. So, so my question is, where are you from? Hmm... Well, thanks for the question. I, I think sometimes about the poem by Jose Marti that says, I come from everywhere and toward everywhere I go. I am an art among the arts and in the woods as woods I go. Jose Marti, a man of letters and Cuban political activist lived from 1853 to 1895. A brilliant writer, fierce and tender at the same time, he is now considered one of the founders of Cuban identity, and by extension of Latin American identity as well. The poem that Luis quotes from is part of a collection of assorted verses, entitled Versos Sencillos, Simple Verses. Martí published them in 1891. Some of them have become quite famous through having been used as lyrics by various singer-songwriters throughout Latin America. Now we return to Luis' answer to my question, where are you from? And well, more specifically, I was born in Mexico City. My mother is from there, from Mexico City, from Iguala, Guerrero, on my grandmother's side, and from Leon, Guanajuato, on the side of my maternal grandfather, Jose Luis. A little while ago, my mama was remembering a rhyme that her father used to sing to her when they were going to bed as little children. And so, one side I think I'm from a very urban experience, right? People who had roots in the family, right? Always in my mother's family, we, we would say that the two lessons that most stuck with us from our grandparents were to stay together and to enjoy life. <laughs> and so that's my heritage. My father is Chicano from El Paso, Texas. And my grandmother, that is my grandma, was born in Fort Worth, Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where my grandfather was born, but they're from Juarez. My grandmother and grandfather are from Juarez. They live in a time where going to and fro across the border, I, I think it was something quite common, you know? Living on one side, working on the other, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or to make an appointment to get your hair cut in Juarez, you know, things like that. And, and my dad, my father, well, he grew up in the Chicano movement, you know? In the social movement that, that there was here, that is, well, at some point they came here to Santa Ana in the 60s, if I'm not mistaken. 
Mm-hmm. So my dad also grew up here in Santa Ana. And so, well, I'm from here too, from Santa Ana. I guess mostly I grew up here. And so with this mixed identity, right? With this identity where I feel like I'm Mexican, but living here and with, well, with luck, right? Mm-hmm. With this great privilege that I've had of, of being able to spend time in Mexico, I, I've been able to, to really ground my identity as a Mexican. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's given me a lot of strength to live in this country and to face the racism in this country, which, which I can tell you I've had to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. That is, I, I can also acknowledge that I have the great privilege of studying, you know, going to university, right? Mm-hmm. Having a formal education, which helped me a lot. Uh, not so much for the education it gave me as for the opportunities I had, you know, mm-hmm. but more than anything, I think it's been this connection with my community and with my culture. That's been like a really strong source of knowledge and personal growth for me. So that's where I'm from. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the song you chose to express or represent this state such a complex state of roots or origins that you are living. So you chose the song, Tu que puedes vuelvete, which is to say, You Who Can Come Back, by Atahualpa Yupanqui. Mm-hmm. Okay. Something that occurs to me after listening this time is that in addition to being, I I think, a great poet, he was an impressive guitarist. Yeah. He plays with a, I don't know, a fluidity that I like a lot. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. I can't say I know the history of Atahualpa Yupanqui very well. But what I've seen in interviews and in, like you say, in his poetry and his way of playing, well, I love it. And it has, I don't know, I'm really inspired by the connection he has with the landscape of his country. Mm. So how did you come to know this song? How did it come into your life? Good question. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure when I first heard Arahualpa Yupanqui's music, but... It did have to do in one way with a friend, a girlfriend. We got to travel together through Northern Argentina and we got to know a little bit of those territories that Atahualpa Yupanqui talks about a lot. Mm -hmm. What I understand is that Atahualpa was like one of the very early representatives of not just traditional music, folk music as they call it, music of the people, you know, social movements, Movements for, for raising up the experiences of peasant people, working people. And then afterward came Mercedes Sosa. And even from Chile, you know, like Violeta Parra, Victor Jara. Atahualpa, as I understand it, like part of this movement, bringing forward these peasant traditions of music. I don't know if I'm right about this, but I think he was classically trained. But he devoted himself to bringing forward the experiences of country people, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And I remember a conversation that I had once with a friend in the collective, Sayu. We were talking about how in the history of social movements, often we've seen this alliance between city people and country people. Well, Atahualpa himself, as far as I know, was not a peasant at all. He was from the middle class in his country, I think. So this is another example of exactly this phenomenon of alliances, a little fragile, but with good intentions, I think, between the bourgeois and those who live on and work the land. And sadly, in the history of social movements, country people give a lot to these movements only to be disillusioned in the end and in a certain way betrayed by the interests of that petty bourgeois class of city people. Mm. How can we get past this? How can we manage to create a real alliance, you know? One that benefits not just the petty bourgeois, but really raises up the people. In this case, peasant musicians, people who are making music in their native places. And how can we build a movement that really looks to the people who are maintaining the roots, you know? Mm. So that's really the challenge. People like us, city people, I, I think we have a pleasure and a responsibility. And I think the main responsibility is toward the root, you know? towards supporting people who remain in their native places. That is maintaining their culture, not just music, but whole life way they maintain. Well, you're touching on a lot of important points. Just like you say, I enjoy the great privilege, really it's a, a whole set of privileges, of having been an urban person with good resources and a great deal of education, musical training, and so on. I, I agree strongly with you that we who enjoy these social, socioeconomic advantages, we have a duty, I think, to learn to listen to all, all the others in the world who haven't enjoyed these privileges. And that act, the simple act of listening, it's fundamental to music. And that's the reason for this project, this program, and this interview. In a certain sense, Luis, we share some really big goals, I think. So I'd like to return us for a moment to the song because some passages in the poetry caught my attention. Most of all, this one of, well, it, it's that the river he's singing about, that he's talking about, it's, it's a sad river. Es cosa triste ser río. Quién pudiera ser laguna, oír el silbo en el junco cuando lo ves a la luna. So, so I want to ask you, how is it that that sadness, the flow of time and the impossibility of returning, how is it that it represents or expresses your sense of roots, your sense of where you're from? Yeah, I think I identify with the experience that many migrant people have of the nostalgia to return and possibly and probably everyone lives this in their own way. Um, I also think that for me, it was very impactful in Mexico being able to come to know living rivers, for example, in southern Veracruz or traveling further south, seeing these rivers that are, well, they're alive. Hmm. 
in comparison with the river we have here in Santa Ana. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's really sad when you compare it, right? It's it's a river that was put into a paved channel. It's an imprisoned river. Yeah. It's in a channel that's like 22 miles long of pure concrete. Yeah, exactly. The saddest thing I've ever seen. Similar similar to this, maybe. So for people... For people who don't know the Santa Ana River, it's similar to how the Los Angeles River looks. You know, they're rivers that I imagine in their day, they were great rivers, you know? And even the historians of this region who've dedicated themselves to keeping the history of the flora and fauna, and obviously of the peoples of this area, like the history of that river that was paved is also representative of what happened to the original life in this region. Yeah. So then for me, the nostalgia to return doesn't just represent, well, going back to Mexico in my case. It also represents returning to a a way of life that I've been able to see in other places, a life that's more in accord with nature and the life it contains. Uh, Yes, yes. You've given it completely another angle, but a really provocative one. You know what, Luis? There's a part of the Los Angeles River that they've let return to its natural condition as a river with the, with the plants and the, the mud that accumulates over the concrete. And the, the course of the river in that part has its curves, its meanders that are natural to rivers. And an astonishing variety of flora and fauna has returned. These imprisoned rivers that we have around here, they still have the will and the capacity to return to being themselves. In the 1930s and 40s, both the rivers we talk about here, the Los Angeles River and the Santa Ana River, were channeled in order to control their tendencies to flood nearby lands. Unfortunately, this process, in addition to making both rivers into monuments to urban ugliness, also put an end to the varied ecosystems that each river sustained. In 2016, the city of Los Angeles inaugurated the LA River Ecosystem Restoration Project, as they call it. As I described in the interview, this initiative proposes to restore 11 miles of the river from Griffith Park to downtown LA to a more natural condition. You can find links and read more about this interesting project on our website. The Santa Ana River is quite a bit longer and has a bigger drainage basin than the LA River. Upstream in Riverside County, there are still some sections of it that are more or less in natural condition. But downstream, its last 22 miles, including the part that passes through the city of Santana itself, are a desert of pure concrete. It really is a sad river. Once again, you can find links and read more on our website. So, okay, maybe with this, let's move on to talking a little about your other song, your second song. The one that expresses your hopes for the future. So do you want to tell us a little bit how you came to know the artists that are performing here and a bit of your history with this group? In the song I chose, it's that it's a collaboration between Colectivo Altapi 
and a group of young people that call themselves Sector 145. They're young rappers from Sayula de Aleman. They're on one side of Akayukan in Veracruz. They're young people who rap in Papaluca, you know? They're descendants of the Olmec people, one of the oldest cultures on our continent. Yeah. And these young people are rapping about their territory, you know, about their pride in their land. And when I think about where are we going, I learned more than anything from communities in Mexico that have maintained a path to defending their culture, defending their identity, and defending their territory. Mm-hmm. Also about the experience of the original peoples from here, about the Hachiman community, the Tongva community. Mm. And I feel like, where are we going? It's like a moment where, and okay, I didn't invent this phrase, right? But this idea that, like, it's the time of the people, you know, a, a time we're waking up as a people and honoring the experience of persons who have maintained that history, who have maintained that connection with the earth, who have maintained that connection with nature. And if you look at the world right now, we need that urgently, right? Very urgently, yes. And and for me, the Collectivo Altapi wasn't just a really, really great example of that work, but also a group of people who invited me. They said, hey, come here and work with us. And in the context of doing that work, well, I met a lot of people that I admire enormously to this day for their commitment. And sadly, one of the young people who's rapping in the video, Tio Bad, he was murdered. That's a horrible thing. But it, it also turns out to be a kind of commentary on the difficulty of realizing those hopes, right? Because there's a lot that's against it. Yeah. Being so rich in natural resources, southern Veracruz has been subjected to centuries of ecological violence. In recent years, this violence has once again become social as well. Poverty and desperation, governmental corruption, the cynical taking advantage of these conditions by drug cartels, and the eternal response of the police have come together to make this region really dangerous in recent years for its residents. This is the violence that took the life of Teobad and too many others. So this song can only be found on YouTube with a video. It's a really pretty video, I think. But for those who are listening, you have to imagine those images of greenery, the the leafiness that is Veracruz. And one of the beauties of the video is that right at the end, you see the face of that young man, Teobad, he he raps with a lot of intensity, but then his face opens up in this smile when the music ends. It's it's something. I, I know that we could stay with the sadness. We could start thinking about how many people we've lost, right? Mm. People like Tio Bad, who fought for a better life, not just for themselves, but for their community. There are, are so, so many examples of valuable people that we've lost. However, I think the main thing is to learn, right? Mm. From that commitment, from that inspiration and honor the memory of these people with whatever we can do, you know, each one of us from wherever we are, 
with the resources we have at hand, with the music we can make, the words we can share with projects. I think that, like you said a minute ago, we share a mission or a vision that has to do with honoring the work and the knowledge of communities, persons who have kept a culture in harmony with nature, with the earth, a culture of caring for the earth, a culture of caring for ourselves as a community. I also like to think that that's the path to follow. Yeah. And it, it occurs to me that the, the strongest, the most solid hopes, the ones that have the best chance of being realized, you know, they're the ones that are rooted in, well, often in pain. Or they come through the sacrifices of other generations. It's that there's there's this connection between the future and various pasts, some of them very painful. Yeah. And, well, it's, it's the presence of that young man, visible and audible in the video, rapping, reminds us a little bit of that fact, I think. I was also struck by the verse that Hemali sings, El que tiene pa' comer se olvida del que no tiene, which translates to, he who has enough to eat forgets about the one who doesn't. It's, it's funny because that's another way of delivering a text, delivering a feeling, a poem, singing in this way. She isn't rapping. And also a verse from another generation. But it fits perfectly. It really brings out the, the rage, the resistance that lies at the heart of this verse, right? That, cuando el hambre me tire, el orgullo me levanta. That is, when hunger casts me down, pride lifts me up. <laughs> what a sentiment, right? Yeah, yeah. The verse sung by Gemali, a ten-line form called a decima, is by Arcadio Hidalgo, one of the most respected traditional poets of Southern Veracruz. He was born in 1893 and died in 1985. I offer here a translation of his verse. He who has enough to eat forgets about him who doesn't. Remembering this Christian duty isn't convenient to the rich. But I have a lot of power in my poverty. My pride bears it all, and many are amazed at how, when hunger casts me down, pride lifts me up. Tell me something. The importance of things like poetry, like verse-making, music, dance. It's that our whole interview has been in a context of social struggle, right? And the urgency, really strong right now, of, of changing our path forward as a society. It's a constant theme at the Centro Cultural, I think. Because these arts, on the face of it, they have nothing to do with social changes, economic change, changing economic systems, things like that. And many say, and have said over decades here in the United States, that these things, the arts, really don't matter. I'd really like to hear your thinking about this question. Well, that's an interesting question. Because I was thinking that for us, people who understand the value, not just of music and art, but also we who understand the value of caring for nature, caring for the earth on which we live, 
caring for the environment, it's logical. It's just common sense that it would be a good idea to take care of your surroundings because this is going to benefit not just you, but the person who's next to you. It's common sense. Sadly, in our modern world, it's been abandoned. When we know that scientifically it's been proven that a brain that has music and has access to unfolding itself through these media, mm-hmm. well, it's going to be happier. It's going to have more ability in different areas. Maybe, I don't know if I'm going off on a tangent, but. No, no, not at all. I think these media of communication that are music, poetry, movement, it's exactly that they use other parts of this magnificent organ that we have inside of our heads. (laughs) And so, I, I don't know, we discover other pathways to change. That's right. Just a minute ago, you were mentioning the connection between the experiences of sadness and experiences of suffering, right? Yeah, mm hmm And it made me think about, well, the experiences of black folk, you know, people of African heritage in different parts of the world, having lived through centuries of enslavement. Now today, they represent one of the strongest and most important musical roots in the whole world. The whole world. Yeah, exactly. And black music is still one of our main weapons for fighting back. I see it this way. As people's... Music is one of our weapons, one of our strongest tools we have for communicating our experience to ourselves. And the people who can understand will understand. And those who can't, well, they'll miss it. Well, yeah. But maybe sometimes a rhythm or a movement or a phrase is going to catch their notice. And they'll say, huh? What's that? I want to leave open the possibility that sometimes music, song, can convince the buttheads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes maybe it can reach those who generally won't listen to anyone. I want to thank you so much, Luis. It's always such a pleasure to speak with you. And I hope we have many more opportunities in the coming years. And, well, we'll, we'll be in touch. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thanks to you, too, for doing this. I got inspired, too. <laughs> <laughs> great. That's great. That's the best thing I could hear. So, yeah, you made my day. Luis is always overflowing with ideas and musical references. I couldn't fit them all into our format. He recommended another group for their way of representing the voice and strength of a people, and that's the Septeto Santiaguero from Santiago, Cuba, with whose catchy rhythms we close this interview. Would you like to know more? On our website at ciofuera.org, you can find lyrics to the songs we discuss, our blog about the issues of history, culture, and politics that come up around every song, links for listeners who might want to pursue a theme further, 
and some very cool imagery. You'll also find playlists of all the songs from all the interviews to date, and our special staff-curated playlist as well. We invite your comments or questions. Contact us at our website or participate in the Si Yo Fuera conversation on social media. We're out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then there's just plain old word of mouth. If you like our show, do please tell your friends and your families to give it a listen. And do please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll bring you a new interview every two weeks on Friday mornings. Julia Alanis, Cynthia Marcel de la Torre, and Wesley McClintock are our sound engineers. Zoe Broussard and Laura Diaz hold down the marketing. David Castaneda is music researcher. Deaneira Garcia and Alex Dolvan make production possible. We are a not-for-profit venture currently and gratefully funded by the John Paul Simon Guggenheim Foundation. For now, and until the next interview, keep listening to one another. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, and this is Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. Si yo fuera una canción, sonarían por las calles, las montañas y los valles, mi orgullo y mi pasión. ¿Quién soy yo de corazón? Soy una ola, soy una onda, una vibración que ronda por el universo vivo. Y sonando soy testigo a nuestra unidad más honda.